Welcome to Tripping Over the Barrel, a series that highlights the unique personalities within the oil and gas industry and the stories they have to share with your hosts and lead storytellers, Tilo and Dr. Funkenstein. So, hey, Jeremy, you know, the last couple of weeks, we started the show by talking about how long reserves management software takes to implement. That got me thinking. Oh, yeah. Thank you, Nala. Is that why no one can tell you how much reserves management solutions are going to cost you? Yeah. I think when they engage with a client, they simply don't even know what they're going to charge. You know, I've gotten to know Rob and Kevin over the years, the founders of PDQ Decide, you know, and I can vouch for the fact that they know reserves. They've implemented, you know, reserve solutions over the years, so they know what it takes. Well, I haven't met Rob, but I met Kevin and that dude is freaking smart. And I agree. It's cool that they say what it costs right up front before they ever even talk to the client. You know, and it's more than just the costs because, you know, they can connect the reserves management system right to your Aries and PhD win from day one. Day one, dog. All right, everybody check out www.pdqdecide.com. That's www.pdqdecide.com. And we got Novus Consulting in the house. My friends, Kate Stevenson, Chevy Thomason, and Robert Loveless, Bobby Lolachi, as I like to call him. (laughs) Not sure if you knew that I like to call you that, but I do. I love it. Um, (laughs) This is going to be a a lively episode. Uh, This is a crew that I worked with briefly at Stonebridge um, a couple of years ago. and, And really, even though I wasn't there for very long, built a strong rapport. Um, with this team, just a a very familial group. And once they went out and started their own consulting organization, Novus, we said, hey, we got to get these guys on, let you talk about your company a little bit. And then, uh, of course, talk about all the good stuff, failed sales presentations, how you got in the industry, Oklahoma life, all that good stuff. So, Tim, do you know Novus or this crew? Have you met these guys? There's a few of the names I know. I don't think we've ever met. Robert, I think there's a chance that we did, but... I was doing my uh, crack research uh, on LinkedIn and uh, then decided, well, I'll go look up the company and uh, just typing in Novus is not so easy. So even Novus Consulting didn't work. You know, it took me a while to figure out which Novus it was, though. There are a couple, but I think it's Grow with Novus. Is that right? Grow with Novus? It is. Yes. Yep. Nice. So why don't you guys each give us a quick background? We'll go Robert, then Kate, then Chevy. Um, tell us about yourselves, and then we'll, we'll dive into some of the questions we got for you. Awesome. Awesome. So thanks. <clears throat> this is Robert Lovelace. Uh, thank you guys for having us. Uh, Tim and Jeremy, we're super excited. This is my first podcast, so uh, hopefully first of many. Um, yeah, Robert Lovelace. Don't screw it up. Don't screw it up. <laughs> no pressure. No pressure. Uh, but, you know, I, you know, one of the founding partners with Kate and Chevy of Novus Consulting and, uh, you know, started my career in, in kind of big four management consulting and then later worked for, got heavily, more heavily into upstream oil and gas and worked for a couple of operators, but always been kind of in and out of industry positions and consulting positions. And, you know, really excited to have have this deal with Kate and Chevy, and it's been uh, awesome, an awesome six months so far. So we hope um, the the first of, of many to come. Nice. Yeah, and this is uh, Kate Stevenson. Uh, so I come from a long history with oil and gas. I'm third generation in my family in Oklahoma, oil and gas. So my grandfather was a pumper and owner of a few shallow wells. So I grew up 
with him going out and working his own wells and seeing that side of the business. And then my dad is an oil and gas attorney. So um, I grew up with oil and gas all around me. And I like to say that it's in my blood. I love the industry. I love the people. I love learning new things every day. Um, I started my career at Accenture, so very similar to Robert, in and out of consulting firms, in and out of industry, um, and just fell in love with, with oil and gas consulting. So very excited to, to start this uh, partnership with Chevy and Robert um, to keep helping the industry grow and improve. Um, so and thanks again for having us here, Jeremy. We really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Of course. You know, Chevy, I think, you know, Tim and I made this pretty clear. We're Ford guys, but we'll let you uh, have a minute anyway. (laughs) (laughs) That's that. Hey, that's completely okay. I don't discriminate. Uh, So yeah, Chevy Thomason. um, I come a little bit differently, uh, meaning primarily most of my uh, career has been spent on the operator side. Um, Spent a few, uh, a few little hitches at Devon uh, back in 2003 and then moved over to Chesapeake and spent 15 years there uh, learning the world of oil and gas and learning the world of data management. Um, you know, for anybody that in this world that is listening to this that knows Pam Kaczynski, I'll give her a big shout out because she was a big mentor of mine and a leader of mine uh, for many years. And when she left, uh, the company, I was able to take a lot of her roles and expand upon them. And then whenever my time at Chesapeake was done, I jumped into the consulting world with uh, Kate uh, as my leadership team and have been doing it ever since and love basically just getting in and being able to help clients solve problems. So I was doing some math yeah. before the the show here and, it, and, you know, rough calculations between the three of you, you've got 34 years of consulting experience, which is, which is pretty impressive for a, for a new consulting organization. But the other thing is kind of interesting that all three of you have spent significant amount of time at operators doing work within the companies. How's that? Give me that experience of what's it like taking that from the operator into the consulting business. That give you guys an edge that you think uh, that you need. Absolutely. You can't consult on something you don't know about, right? So by the three of us working at specific operators, we've learned the ins and outs of the business. We've sat side by side with these petroleum engineers. We've sat side by side with accountants uh, doing their revenue distribution. So we have a lot of unique experience in that we've been part of the industry. We've been part of these companies and their cultures, and we know the challenges that they have. And and that's really helped us, you know, in our consulting career, because we can go in and actually talk the language and we know how to solve those problems with the technology. So we're, we we understand the technology side of it, but we also understand the business and we're in a unique position to where we could cross that bridge and, and marry those two things together. Fantastic. So, you know, Chevy, you said a couple things that stood out to me. One, Pam Kaczynski, haven't heard that name in a minute. I like to call her the princess of PPDM because she's <laughs> sort of like the data management guru. And she's actually done a lot for me in, in my career. She she would always, you know, directly introduce me to people like, this is someone you need to meet. They might be looking for a product like the one you have. So I've, I've always found her to be incredibly helpful. And now I'm curious, You 15 years at Chesapeake, 
Did you work like hand in hand with, with our guy, Kevin Decker at all, or was it like a completely different group? Yeah, no, uh, no Kevin quite well, actually. And both of us are big, uh, OSU Oklahoma state people. Um, he had actually even, I got him to give my brother-in-law way back when an internship and he hired him and so forth. So Kevin and I go way back. Um, yeah, he is a fantastic, phenomenal mind, uh, has seen a lot. Uh, and we were able to spend a large part of our career during what I would call uh, the exuberant uh, excess times at Chesapeake, which were extremely fun. Well, you, you only spent half as much time there as, as he did. But I mean, to kind of echo that sentiment, and I've seen this firsthand, I don't think there's any single human in the oil and gas space, at least that I've met, that knows more about production optimization and, and uh, operational efficiency at the well than Kevin Decker. It's, it's pretty incredible. And I'm sure you guys will find ways to align with him. So Robert, um, tell me a little bit about Novus. Like I, I remember you saying, I got something coming. Of course you wouldn't tell me it was this big secret kind of annoyed me. But anyways, <laughs> you, you and Kate, and then, and you pulled Chevy into it. Tell me a little bit about, first of all, starting a company during a pandemic. And then, uh, what is Novus? What are you guys doing? Yeah, yeah, great. Um, you know, I'd say maybe we're gluttons for punishment. You know, why, why not start a company during a pandemic? Um, but really, I mean, I think we we all last year found ourselves kind of in different spots. Um, I'd kind of been out on my own doing independent consulting and and we sort of rallied around and I was looking at, you know, changing kind of my business model a, a bit. And then around that time, Kate and Chevy sort of came and we rallied around really an opportunity to work together. And we didn't know at the time in the beginning what form that would take, uh, but it was kind of hit all those marks in our consulting and professional background, being able to come into a company, assess it, look at data, look at people, look at processes, look at technology, and kind of provide a roadmap and recommendations to alleviate some of the pain they were experiencing. And, um, you know, that opportunity, as we talked through it, 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 kind of like late summer made perfect sense to sort of form a company and and do it the way we want to do it do and and really kind of hit some of those goals and objectives we had you know not only as individuals but then what we would want out of building a company from scratch and yeah I know during a pandemic year you look at that and think you know why in the world would you start something new the, the economy's going against you the oil and gas market was struggling but I think when you when you get together with like-minded people and you talk about what you want, there was just this inherent excitement about it. And, and to me personally, it made it a lot less scary to do that. Um, you know, joining forces with the two of them. But it's, it had to be, I mean, well, how do you go to clients, you know, as a new company, as a consulting company, yeah. I mean, how do you even start that process in, in the middle of this weird year? Well, I tell you, it helps to have an opportunity kind of <laughs> that, that you're working on. So we were lucky enough to have that and to really start the company and, and hit the ground running. Um, and we went into a, a project uh, late last year and kind of wrapped it up at the end of last year. So that was that was awesome. Um, I'd, I'd like to think we would have done this anyways, um, but it really... It really was that and then and then rallying around just some common, uh, you know, kind of like minded goals and objectives that we had for ourselves and really leveraging kind of our past experiences, both, like you said, within working at operators and, and what worked well there. And then in consulting what we saw work well and then really what 
the market need was for, for our services. So um, it really seemed to make sense. And then as we did that and kind of launched the company, announced it, we have just had a lot of great organic conversations. And some of those don't lead to work. And as you guys know, in sales, it's sometimes you have those conversations and six months, a year later, it, it bears some fruit. Uh, but it's been, I mean, we've been super excited. The, the response that we've gotten from the marketplace, from contacts has been you know, overwhelming. It's been great. Of course, in the case of Jeremy, sometimes those sales takes three years to close. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm lucky. Um, you know, one of the things I noticed right when I came to Stonebridge, and this is, you know, shout out to Adam Hutchinson over there. And of, of course, you know, Kate, you and, and Robert was deep relationships in oil and gas. It's not just like, hey, I know this person here. It's like, this is a person that wants me Robert or Mark Brannon or Kate to be on this particular project and to run it um, because I know that you can deliver. And and that was a really impressive and kind of eye-opening for me to see. I think people were choosing individuals um, to work with as much as they were choosing a company. So you guys branching out and even though you're smaller, um, I, I could see rapid growth uh, happening here. The question I have too is, well, I mean, oil and gas is picking up. I'm seeing natural gas prices are increasing. I think oil is like above 60 right now, which is, which is very positive, but what percentage of your business is focused on oil and gas versus like doing stuff for other industries? I would say about 75% of our business is oil and gas and 25% is to, to try to diversify. Um, you know, like you said, relationships are everything and that's our network. That's our knowledge. That's been our passion for the last 20 plus years. And so we're not, we're not going to give up on the industry. We love it too much. But we do know as a company, as a business, we have to diversify so that we're not caught in another downturn where we're focused solely on just oil and gas. But it definitely is our passion and where we're focusing most of our time uh, right now. Yeah, I think that, I mean, the skills are transferable. You guys uh -huh. have a, a pretty defined process that can, you can take elsewhere. And one question I have, and, and I, I'm asking this to more and more of our guests that come on, we keep hearing about ESG. And I think that it's a, it's a hot buzz term right now. And, and I don't think anyone really either has solutions or even consulting that caters kind of around the, the whole emerging ESG practice. Is this something you guys have talked about to this point and, and how you might help companies sort of go down this path of uh, carbon capture, ESG, and, and uh, the, the quote-unquote energy transition? Uh, we have not. So we've, you know, we've, it's something that we definitely need to keep an eye on and it's definitely something that we want to learn more about um, and it's, you know, as our clients are grappling with, with it, we can help them identify their plan and strategy around it. But we haven't dug deep enough in it to really consult on it yet. Yeah. And I think that's the general feedback. Is mm -hmm. it's, it's out there, but nobody really right. knows exactly what to do. Right. Yeah. So, and it, uh, yeah. We're learning more about it. Right. We're, we're trying to understand more about it. But it hasn't been something that we've focused on. And honestly, our clients haven't really been asking us about it yet. Um, no, so I think it's, feedback. I think it's new. Right. And I think it's something that with a change of administration, with, you know, different policies coming in place, we're, we're definitely going to, there's going to be a focus on it in the market. hundred percent. So I, I, I'm curious, I don't, I'm not abundantly familiar with the actual consulting that you guys are going to do. Mm -hmm. What's your focus? What type of consulting 
are you going to be doing? Is it going to be a technology transition, digitalization? Where do you guys kind of lean? Well, we have a, a passion in helping organizations really just achieve their vision and goals. Um, so that could be through any transformative efforts, such as mergers and acquisitions. They're implementing software. They're doing a data engineering project or data conversion and, and of course, any digital initiative. So we do pride ourselves in that we can go into a company, evaluate the challenges that they are having, and put together a transformation roadmap. And that's that's really our strength at the partner level. And then we have consultants that can come out and actually execute on that transformation, whether that's a software implementation, a new business process, um, just putting an integration in place or doing some data engineering around their data and bringing data across multiple applications together. So we are focusing on how technology can really help our clients. And like Jeremy said, those skills are very transferable from industry to industry. Now, our strength, of course, is oil and gas because we know the language. We can bridge the gap between the business and the technology. But our last client was in healthcare, and we were able to understand 80% of the challenges that they were having because we had already dealt with those challenges in oil and gas. So we do, we do really concentrate on focusing in on how a company can do more with less and use their data because we do believe that data is the future. And that's where people need to be putting their efforts into regarding how they capture data and how they serve up that data to ultimately lower lower their costs long term. Yeah, no, I, I dig that. And, you know, Kate, when certainly in the time that we worked together, your mm-hmm. focus was on M&A. Right. And yeah, there was a yeah. lot of that happening at that point. Mm-hmm. Can you walk us through some of the complexities? So I'm an oil and gas company. I just, you know, I have 2,500 wells and I just bought a company that has a thousand wells and I have a very short, you know, transition services agreement. I need to get all this data in. I need to, uh, you know, bring the new team into the fold. Like, like what does that process look like? And what are the complexities that, that a company has to deal with when they acquire uh, an asset or an organization? Yeah, I think it comes down to, you know, it's easy to move data from A to B. That's not the hard part. The hard part is the coordination, the dependencies, the data transformation that needs to take place. What we found is a lot of companies brute force their data in. They got a 90-day TSA, right? They've got to get the data in. There's a lot of back and forth between the buyer and the seller, Um, and trying to get the formatting correct, trying to get all the data. And then, you know, what we found is a lot of management thinks, oh, well, let's just get the data in the system. It's not important. Let's just get it in. We got to get it in, have this timeline to meet. And then they're left with, oh, gosh, I have to report on this. I have to run my processes on this data that was formatted and says completely different things than what my data says. And then to top it off, I didn't even have standards beforehand. So now I have a big blob of data that I don't know what to do with. And so then they spend time and money trying to try to normalize it, trying to get it working together. Whereas if they had just spent a little bit more time and effort at the beginning, moving it in the right way, then, then, you know, they would have saved on time and cost later down the road. Um, The other item that we find is when people are involved in that acquisition, right? 
They're bringing ah. people in from the field. So a lot of companies, they won't bring in corporate, but they'll bring in their field personnel, right? Um, and even if it is just a small acquisition with field personnel, they still have to learn new, the new systems. They still have to learn what the new processes are. They still have to be incorporated into the culture. So speaking of Kevin Decker, you know, really having someone like Kevin um, and ourselves come in and help train and incorporate them into the fold of the new organization. And then when you look at the corporate side of the people house, when you're when you're bringing in people into the corporate side, that's a huge transition. Um, new processes, new organization, new management. Um, it, it's a lot of time to incorporate those processes and those people into the fold. And hey, Kate, one just one thing to add to that too is, mm -hmm. you know, going back to what you said earlier, Jeremy and, and Tim is, we, we've seen that from multiple perspectives. We've obviously seen it as, as a consulting and as an outsider working for an organization. We have seen that being the acquiree. Um, I, I was in that position to kind of transitioning from Petrahawk to BHP Billiton during that acquisition. Oh, that was a monster. Yeah, and then Chevy's seen it from Chesapeake in the days where there was just a lot of acquisition activity on both sides. So. I feel like we can, we have a unique perspective and then we come in and Kate hit on a great point is sometimes people and employees are involved in that. Sometimes facilities are involved in that, you know, and you have a bigger HR component with that transition of who's going to be here, who's going away, what kind of skills and capabilities. I mean, you, it, it gets a lot more nuanced than just, you know, the typical areas where we look at, say we're looking at a technology stack or we're looking at data. Uh, and so, and, and quite honestly, as consultants, that's really exciting to us is to help help an organization kind of through that process. All right, Robert. So you mentioned skills and 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 skills that are in the organization. And I got to ask this as a founding group for a new consulting company. There's a, suddenly a lot of new hats that you guys have to wear that maybe you haven't had to wear in the past. Like, you know, have you guys divided up who's doing sales? Or who handles taxes? Yeah, consulting, <laughs> you know, HR, all those things. So, what's that been like? Kind of trying to take that up. Oh goodness, um, it's it, every day's an adventure. Um, I think somehow I've become the de facto CFO, which is uh, <laughs> a little scary. But um, you know, we we kind of gravitate towards either what you know our interests are, or sometimes we're all uh, regarding sales. We all kind of pitch in on that. We're all you know, leveraging our network or leveraging, you know, past relationships or, you know, people kind of coming in, uh, showing an interest in our company, certainly on the financial side. Uh, I had been doing that a little bit through my past travels. So I'm taking some of that on some of the operational front. Kate might take some of those items. Chevy takes some of those items. I mean, we, it kind of just inherently works out. I don't know that we have a great rhyme or reason to it. Everybody's Man a sales guy. That's it. <laughs> Management on the fly. Tim, you angling for a job over there? What are you, what are you looking for, man? No, 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 no. <laughs> I don't, come on, come on. I don't think I've got the. I don't think I've got the capability of just selling pure consulting. It's just. Uh, I, I love the technology part. Uh, they can do that too, though. I mean, I think that's the the beauty of of at least this group is is a is supremely versatile. I know Robert knows a ton on accounting. Chevy, I get the sense you know a lot about the operational side of things, and uh, you know certainly Kate kind of uh, end to end and and sort of like management consulting. So I, I see where the the three of you came together to make this whole thing work. Um, question that we have, and I know we kicked this around before uh, we we started this demo. We want to hear about some of the embarrassing, ridiculous tales 
that you guys have been through in sales opportunities, whether it's at your current company, previous companies, anything stand out that you want to share with our audience? Oh my goodness. Well, I'll take one that's kind of top of mind. I think that we still laugh about to this day. And then I think Chevy has some, Kate has a ton. Um, so, and Kate and I were involved, both involved in this one. It was August. Uh, I believe we were in downtown Dallas. It was a, a huge M&A opportunity. I think very competitive. I think we were up against some of the big kind of top tier boutique management consulting firms. and. Kate and I's boss was there. So, you know, we, we go into this company, um, the, the air conditioning happens to not be working that day <laughs> so, oh, perfect. in the lobby. It's rather warm. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Kate is seven months pregnant. Oh, this is good. Um, and our boss happens to just be just sweating. I think on top of it being really warm, he is also very nervous because of the size of this deal. It's kind of in his backyard, so to speak. So we go up to the room. I think at one point we're in an elevator and Kate offers uh, our boss some baby wipes to, to wipe his brow with. Um, <laughs> we get, get the, the sweating, the profuse sweating under control. And during the middle of this presentation, it's almost like if everything could go wrong, it was going to go wrong. Um, and... We had, I mean, it was, it was so large. I think we were ourselves kind of struggling to sort of get our arms around it and kind of present really a cohesive story. Um, it started well. I think we had, I had a softball question that was lobbed to me from, uh, you know, my boss that I stumbled f through profusely um, at one point, And have you guys ever had this happen in a presentation? I think I had an outer body experience. Like, <laughs> I was looking at myself talking. I, I was trying to tell myself, you need to end this story. It is oh. not going well. Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> go back. To, yeah. Go back to our episode number two. <laughs> I call it, I call it a derealization where all of a sudden you're like levitating above the room and you look and you're like, what the fuck am I doing? Why am I still here? talking? Why am I Jeremy, still talking? Stop, just, should you leave the room? Are you going to pass out? What are you doing? <laughs> I I, yes. I very much had it. Um, softball question to me. I go off on some tangent and, and <laughs> Kate's has a look of horror on her face. My, my boss is giving me the kill it sign across his, but I couldn't stop talking about it. I don't know what happened to me, but um, yeah. So that, that was, I'm, I'm guessing you guys didn't win that business. We, we did not. No, we did not. <laughs> Slightly disadvantaged with the AC going out. I mean, geez, it's yeah. already bad enough outside, right? Then you go inside. Ooh, I assume have, it was not the time of year where you could live without the AC for any period of time. Right. Oh no, no. And we were suited up. They had box fans in the room. I mean, they, they were very gracious about it. Kind of acknowledged that it's going to be uncomfortable, but it was, oh, it was a rough one. <laughs> it was a very tiny room too. So it just kept getting worse and worse and worse uh, with the heat. <laughs> oh, I hate that. I, I actually had one. This was at uh, Great Western in Denver. And for whatever reason, the way my computer had to be plugged in, it was like I was at the front of the room and the projector was there. So I had to keep looking back at the guys. And it's like, they're just staring at me and watching my every, but this is terrible. Like I, I can't have any control of the situation, but now nah, there's always those weird quirks in, in small rooms where it's, oh, you got to sit here and too bad you're in the pressure cooker. Yeah. yeah I, I went we, to we, a room in Mexico that 
it was not air conditioned when we went in, but I didn't realize that they had those remote control air conditioners. They only turn on at specific times just to save energy. So I'm sitting in there 30 minutes early after hooking up the projectors up, just sweating away. And the guy comes in and he goes, Oh, sorry. And he just turns on the air conditioner and suddenly it's all. (laughs) (laughs) I I was very concerned that this was going to be the way it goes. So Kate, at least your water didn't break, right? That's right. That's right. (laughs) What do you got for us? You know, besides that one, I think that was definitely my favorite one. Uh, Robert didn't go too far into what he was saying, but it was it was pretty <laughs> funny. Um, you know, I think the other one that I had was just, you know, we were working at a or we were doing a sales presentation on a on a product and the gentleman that was presenting started opening up the code um, behind his product and walking the code? Through code files. Yes, oh, nice. trying to make a point. And not recognizing that the audience had no idea how to read code or that it was appropriate. <laughs> I feel like I've seen that. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So definitely a lesson learned for me. It was one of the first times that I've been, I was in a kind of a product demonstration and uh, definitely realized after that to, to prepare the team a little bit more who was in the audience. Keep it at uh, higher level versus That's right. literally That's right. in the weeds. Right, right. <laughs> I did, I saw a, software presentation for a reservoir simulator and reservoir simulators, they just run. So Uh he starts a simulation (laughs) and the screen's just churning. You can see the little dial moving and it's doing simulations. And then we're just filling time with talking. I'm like, we didn't need to sit here and watch a simulator actually run. Let me show you how a fan works. Uh, Everyone please notice it's still running. (laughs) <laughs> Chevy, anything from your Chesapeake days? Somebody either coming into you or are you stubbing your toe? You know, really the most recent aspect of things actually was on the consulting side, but it was more of uh, we were doing a what's called a travel mishap. Uh, we were doing a down and back to uh, Midland. And granted, this is the middle of summer. And we were at that time chartering. Uh, because we were going down back and forth so much, we were just chartering flights and uh, we get there in the morning to take off. Not that big a deal because it was cool and pretty decent outside, but the air on the plane was not working. So we get down to one, which was fine again in the morning. The problem back was, you know, everybody's in basically dress, clothing, ties, all this kind of stuff. The plane's been sitting in the Midland heat all day. No trees. trees. Yeah, no. And get on that sucker. And, you know, the pilot's like, it'll get cooler when we get in the air. You know, uh, everybody's sweating their bag ass off. And luckily there were a, he had, he did stop by and buy a case of beer. Uh, So we at least had some (laughs) cool beverages on the way back, but my God, it was a miserable, you were like, just get me on United Southwest, anything that may have air conditioning, please. Uh, But that's the most recent thing I can think of. Ah, this is, I mean, that's, that's the life of, of business, right? You're on the road and these, these things are going to happen sometimes. Tim, Tim and I have been through that. And yeah, I mean, I was just talking about this yesterday with, with somebody else. It's like, I mean, Midland's great. You're not going to find a tree though. There's no trees. <laughs> so, I mean, if you're, you're getting that direct sun, 120 degrees in the summer. Whew. Well, you know, Jeremy, out there in West Texas is one of the largest oak forests in the country. It's it's just hidden from me. Yeah, it's called they're called they're called shin oaks. They only come up to your knees. 
they're, they're actual oak trees only come up to your knees and they're spread out, you know, just, you wouldn't know they're trees from, uh, if you're in East Texas, you wouldn't call them trees at all. They're little shrubs, but they're called shin oaks. Not to be confused with a Chinook, which is what, <laughs> you know, a Calgary wind or something. Yeah, which like we've, that. we've both, we've both been a part of a Chinook before. I like those warms things up. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm curious, I want to fast forward now, like, you guys started this thing. I know your head's down. It's day to day, right? Like Robert said, every day is a new adventure. What do you think your company looks like in two, three, five years? Have you even been able to digest that yet? Well, we have. I mean, when we sat down together, we drew out on the board what our vision was. And we we want to build a mid-sized consulting firm um, that has multiple arms to it. Um, an advisory arm and a technology arm that that serves up multiple industries around data management, whether that's software implementations or so forth. So we would like we are in the process of building a a good sized team. Um, and you know that was the beauty of all this is that we said before we even started, we looked ahead two years and said, what kind of culture do we want to build? What kind of team do we want to build? And all three of us were on the same page that we want it to be a culture built out of integrity and teamwork. And, you know, we've worked at a lot of great places. We've worked for a lot of great companies. We've worked for a lot of great people. Um, but this was an opportunity for us to really build something that we've, that we can say, gosh, we did that. And we're building a team and a culture and a company where people are really happy to work for us and work for our clients. Um, we also really want to partner with our clients as much as possible and, and be honest and, 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 you know, and say, this is what you need and not try to do a, you know, a sales show every time we're, we're on site with them. Um, so that was something that was very, very important for us is, is really partnering with our clients and building those trusted advisor relationships with them. Yeah. I mean, many of which you already have, right? right, I'm, right. I'm excited to see you guys expand, expand that out. So l- let me tell you a quick Oklahoma story, Tim. I don't even think I've, I've told you this one yet, but um, you know, I'm, I'm from New England. I'm a, I'm a Northeast guy. And a few years ago, my dad, I think it was 2016, I was back in Boston for my dad's 70th birthday and a whole bunch of people came in and, and I was having a conversation with this woman um, and she said, so you're an oil and gas. Like, like, what do you do? Where do you go? I said, yeah, you know, I, I go to OKC a bunch, Dallas, you know, Midland, of course, Denver. And she said, oh, my, my family is, is a legacy, um, Oklahoma oil, oil wells owner. Like I still get a check, um, every month, like for the, the royalties and have for a number of years. I go, oh, really? What's the company? And she goes, um, Oniok. I go, <laughs> Oniok. I go, Oni, One Oak? She goes, yeah, I guess. I'm like, man, you've been collecting checks from One Oak for all these years and you thought it was Oniok. What am I doing wrong? That's hilarious. <laughs> it shows you, right? So, some of these royalty owners are, are not totally connected to it. They just cash the check every month. It looks, and by the way, guys, it looked to me like you, you have, what, two of you are in Oklahoma City and one, and one in Tulsa, or is it two in Tulsa, one in OKC? What's the, is there a, a, a rivalry Dallas or Tulsa, Oklahoma city type type of rivalry, or is, is that, uh, is it pretty harmonious there in the okay? I think it's pretty harmonious. Um, you know, I guess if there's a rivalry, I'm not, I'm not in the middle of it, but, uh, and I, I spent, God, well, I spent like six years in Oklahoma city and then I grew up around Tulsa, kind of came back here about nine years ago. 
Um, I do think there's some, you know, there's some differences in the markets, you know, regarding oil and gas there. Tulsa, you know, has got, well, Oklahoma City has it too, but kind of a heavy midstream presence. You mentioned One Oak. Mm. Um, but I think even, even how the upstream operators are in Tulsa versus Oklahoma City, it's, it's a little bit different. I mean, so it's kind of nice to have both of those perspectives. I mean, Kate and Chevy might, they, they might have a rivalry with me that I just don't know about. <laughs> <laughs> it, they are different though. I mean, you know, I, I got this experience going to Tulsa a bunch of times over the past couple of years. And of course, you know, OKC when, when things were booming with, you know, Continental, Devon, Lenormand, uh, Chesapeake and, and the like, I feel like OKC prides itself on being a bigger, more business city and Tulsa views itself as like a fun place to live where people also work. Um, as far as rivalry, I think Robert's answer summarizes it pretty well, right? I mean, they're, uh, the Thunder probably united people a little bit. I think the rivalry is just like Oklahoma State, OSU, and then everybody hates Dallas. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I'm, I'm on for hating Dallas from being from Houston. <laughs> new money dallas as our friend autumn shisha likes to call it new money dallas yeah anyways guys this was a blast we really appreciate having you on i look forward to to getting you into some opportunities up here in denver once this uh, thing is over and you guys can start flying up but i know you're poised for success and uh, hopefully this podcast helps get you some more uh, ears on what you're doing Thanks a lot, guys. It was great to meet you. Definitely. Yeah, thanks for having us, guys. All right.